number 12, the Bible uh, says this. It says, now among these uh, who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And can we ask God to bless the message this morning? Father, you are holy and righteous and sovereign in all of your ways. And Father, I pray in this moment that we would be fully present in our hearts and our minds to hear the word of God. Father, if you choose to convict us by your spirit, may we respond to the conviction. If you choose to encourage us by the, by the power of your word, may we embrace the encouragement. But Father, I pray that you would show us, Lord, where we need to grow. Show us, God, the next steps we need to take. May we not just hear a message this morning, but Father, may we be changed by your word. That is our heart and desire. And we pray that Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified in everything that takes place. God, thank you for what you are doing here. Thank you, God. It is your church. You're doing a great job with it. And we are just in awe. It is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Lord, we do not even dare to take one ounce of credit for anything that you are doing by your sovereign hand. And so, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us by your spirit. Father, I pray the word of God would be the truth that comes to bear upon our lives and our hearts, Lord, in this time this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The time has finally come. The hour has come that we've been reading about in the book of John where Jesus is going to go to the cross. He is in the middle of Passion Week. He has just triumphantly entered into Jerusalem and it won't be just a matter of a couple of days until he is crucified and buried and risen again. He is fulfilling his purpose. And all throughout the book of John, early on in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, all throughout the book of John early on, we see that Jesus uh, avoids the crowds or hides in the shadows because he says, my hour has not yet come. We see that threats have come into his life and people threaten to kill him and threaten to, to uh, eliminate him. And he says, don't worry, that's not going to happen because my hour has not yet come. My purpose for being here is not yet come. And so all throughout the book of John, we have sort of this like anticipatory statement that Jesus says, it's not yet. My time hasn't come. It's not going to happen for a while. And then we come to verse number 20 of John chapter 12. And it says, it's it, uh, verse 20. It says that the hour has come. And so we see a shift in Jesus's language here that what was going to happen is now happening. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. The hour has come. The moment has come for Jesus to be betrayed by Judas, to be whipped by the Roman soldiers, to be spit upon by those mocking him, to have his beard plucked out. The hour has come for them to take uh, nails and put them into his hands and to his feet. The hour has come for him to drag a cross up the hill of Golgotha to be placed on the, the, the place of the the skull. The hour has come for the spear to be put in his side. The hour has come for the Roman soldiers to mock him. The hour has come for his father to forsake him and turn his back because he cannot look upon his son as he bears the weight of the sin of all the world. The hour has come. Jesus will die. He will be crucified. He will be the sacrificial lamb for the world. He will give his life willingly. He will lose himself. He will shed his blood. He will be beaten. He will be broken. He will be laid on that cross. The hour has come. And as we read this passage, Jesus is not so much focused on himself in this passage. 
but rather in this incredible weighty hour, this moment that we've all anticipated, he turns to his followers and he begins to explain to them the cost of following him now. Before Jesus was the, the bread maker, the wine turner, then though there were some that did not like him, though there were some that despised him, yet they just came from a celebration where millions of people are, are praising him and, and, and crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now that his hour has come, he looks to his disciples and he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to live humbly. I'm going to offer my I am going to lose my life. And if you follow me, you must do the exact same thing. Becomes very serious. Becomes a very sobering moment. Jesus looks into the eyes of his followers and says, as I have obeyed my father, as I have pleased my father to the point of sacrifice, Now, in the same way, you must follow me. And it changes what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And why would Jesus take the time to tell us this? Why would he look at his disciples in his own hour of sacrifice and say to them, you need to sacrifice and give and serve and love and walk humbly and be willing to give of yourself like I am? Why would he do that? Because he knows us. He knows how we are as people. He knows that in our fallen condition, in our sinfulness, he knows me and he knows you. And here's what he knows. He knows that at times in my life, I can be super self-absorbed. I added that adjective in there. Super self-absorbed. Even in small things and little, and little things, I can think of myself to be self-absorbed is, is different a little bit than being self-centered. Self-absorbed means that you are thinking of yourself to the point where you lack empathy for how anybody else feels. Self-centered means you're thinking about yourself and yeah, if they get a, if they get a shot too, that's great too. Self-absorbed means that the only person that matters is me. And at times, beloved, I can be super self-absorbed. I go to, I love going to restaurants. I love eat, uh, going out to eat. And I'll tell you, I, it's, it's subconscious. I know I'm growing in God's grace, but, but as I walk into the restaurant, I, I try to, to hedge myself here and I look and I say, okay, now how many people came in before me? How many people came in after me? And I'm going to watch who gets their food when they get it because I need, I know when I need to get my food. So I sit down, I put my order in and, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm doing great. I'm having dinner with my wife or my family. And all of a sudden I'll see a family that got their food and they came in after me. And I think to myself, well, I, how is that possible? I was here before them. I placed my order before them. Is my food more complicated to make than their food? Did they just get soup? I don't understand it. And I know some of you right now are judging me, but let he who is not sin among you, let him cast the first stone. I know some of you. It may not be a restaurant. It may be Starbucks. You walk in and, and you, you know you timed your mobile order perfectly. I mean, you know the distance and the mileage and you know how many people come to your Starbucks and you know the time of day and the wind trajectory and you know you place that order right there and you should walk in. You should not even have to break stride and you should pick up your drink and be able to walk out. And you cannot even believe that when you walk in after perfectly timing your drink that you would have to wait. I know some of you got, you sort of, you know, you sort start back here, you know, in, in, with everybody else. Then all of a sudden, a little time passes, you sort of move up, you know what I mean? And then you're, you're basically on the other side of the counter. Ah, uh, Stephen, Stephen, and sticker for Stephen. Listen, we all can live self-absorbed. Matter of fact, at times I can be super self-absorbed. <laughs> I can think of myself and not care ab- about anybody else. And if Jesus is calling me 
to follow him in the way that he followed his father, then I must address my tendency to live self-absorbed. And Jesus addresses it here in this passage, but beloved, he takes it to a level of intensity far beyond what I just said. In verse 25, it says this, it says, he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does Jesus mean by this? This is why I love going verse by verse because we're not going to skip over the verse. It's a, it's a little complex to sort of figure out what is Jesus? Am I supposed to go out and hate myself and hate my life? And am I supposed to just, you know, uh, not care about what I feel? That's not what he's saying. Let's take the time in order for us to understand the entire message. We have to take time to break down this verse so we understand exactly what Jesus is saying. And here's the thing. I'll give you a little heads up. When we start breaking this down, you will find that Jesus is not playing around here. What he says. I'll give you a quote from a commentator that I often refer to. His name is D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson says this. He says, the person who loves his life will lose it. It could not be otherwise, for to love one's life is a fundamental denial of God's sovereignty, of God's right, and a brazen elevation of self to the apogee of one's perception, and therefore an idolatrous focus on self, which is the heart of all sin. When Jesus says whoever loves his life will lose it, he's not talking about loving the pleasures and the moments of life that we all enjoy, but he is saying whoever is so self-absorbed in their life that they cannot think of anybody else and they reject what God wants in their life, it is as if they have become God in their own life. He's speaking about loving yourself to the place where you worship yourself as if you are God. It's idolatry. It brings us back to the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And God is a jealous God and he will not stand to be second place. He will not stand to be substituted. He will not stand just to be an important part of your life. He wants to be the, the, the center of your life. He wants first place. He wants sovereign rule over your life. And what Jesus is saying is this, is that my hour has come and I'm going to go to the cross because God is my God and I obey him. If you love your life to the point where you disregard whatever God says, is that if you're worshiping yourself you're an idol to yourself because in our in our hearts beloved there is always been a natural bent to be god of our own life we look back at adam and eve and we're reminded in genesis chapter number three and verse number five it says this as the serpent was was tempting Adam and Eve. He did not tempt them with money. He did not tempt them with fame. He did not tempt them with prestige. He tempted them with the possibility that they would be God. Verse number five says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. And from the beginning of creation, man has sought to be God in their own life, to worship themselves, to think about themselves, to to spend time on themselves, to be self-absorbed. And I'm not saying, I hope you understand this, and I hope that we are a mature enough audience to understand. I'm not saying that you can't have time for yourself or every now and then take a day off. You understand what I'm saying. In our self-absorbed culture, we have moved from just thinking about ourselves at times to moving into self-worship. That all that matters in this life is what I want. We see even Adam and Eve were pulled away from God's perfect utopian society because the idea of being God in their own life was irresistible. We see that worshiping myself brings destruction. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're self-absorbed. You're worshiping yourself. In verse 25 again of John chapter 12, he says this. Verse 25, he says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Go back to verse 24. Excuse me. Verse 24. It says this. 
In verse number 24, I think we got it here. Three, two, one, verse 24. There it is. Boom. Look at that magic. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the, to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears, uh, much fruit. Sorry. Verse 26. Thank you. That's why, that's why I should look at my notes. There it is. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. No. Verse 25, the first part. Thank you. That's what it is. There, there it is. Thank you. There we go. All right. All right. Hope you're doing well up there. Praise the Lord. Amen. I don't even know who's up there. I think it's Larry. Thank you, Larry. Whoever loves his life, okay, so whoever worships himself to the place of self-absorption, to the place of self-worship, and by the way, okay, we all have dealt with this at times. Now, look, I'm not saying that you scream down to the kids when they say, Mom, I need you. You don't say, No, I'm worshiping myself right now. You don't do that. Okay? <laughs> I'm spending time. I need some me time, right? We don't say that. But here's the thing, in our lives, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, God is calling you to live a life that is not self-absorbed. It's not about you. It's not about what you, it's about what he wants. And he says this, here's what happens. He says, whoever loves his life or lives self-absorbed or worships himself, loses it. The word lose there is the Greek word, which means apolomai, apolomai. It means to destroy or to ruin or to bring to chaos. So what Jesus is teaching his disciples in this moment is that if you think about yourself and you're self-absorbed and you live to worship yourself, your life will be brought to ruin. And that's not just some preacher talk. This is what the Bible is teaching. That, that you will experience ruin and destruction in your life if you're all about yourself. You will lose your life. You will not uh, experience the blessings and the joys of having a life that God wants. You will ruin it. You'll destroy it. You'll bring it to destruction. And it's so true practically. If we think about a marriage, if, if in that marriage, is, if, if, if both people are all about themselves, that marriage is probably going to come to ruin. If there's relationships that are selfish, if, if there's just self-absorption, then there's going to be things that will not thrive. They will die. They will go into chaos. And Jesus is telling us, beloved, he's saying, listen, you can live self-absorbed. You can follow what you want. You can live how you want. You can uh, please yourself, glorify yourself. You can think of yourself. You can elevate yourself to an important status. But if you do that in this life, your life will be filled with ruin. That's what he's saying. It's a little more intense than, than we first outlined it, isn't it? But then he says this. He says in verse number 25, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. And so we see a contrast here where Jesus says, if you love your life, if you're self-absorbed, if you think about yourself, glorify yourself, live for your own glory, And by the way, we can live for our own glory even in good things that we do. Mm -hmm. We have a culture of people that will help someone across the street and then take a picture of it. We have a culture of people who will fly to some remote place to help out some uh, underprivileged community and then make sure that it gets on Instagram. And so even in our lives, as we move and as we work and as we, and as we, as we are in this life, we are constantly dealing with the fact that we are thinking about ourselves, our own glory, our own exaltation. And I do that sometimes as well. You don't think that when we have a good day at church and a baptism, that I'm not the first one to post it on Facebook so all my other pastor friends can go, wow. Of course I do. I tell him sometimes, I tell you, pastor, I said, I'll never post a bad day on, on Facebook. I just want you to know that, right? Hey, here's a picture of empty auditorium, empty baptism, empty parking lot, you know, praise the Lord. I'll never, every time I post on Facebook, it's always good, right? You know what I'm saying? Right? And so we do this in our culture, and God's growing me, by the way, in that grace. Amen? Amen. He's growing me. We do this in our culture, and so Jesus comes with a contrast, and he says this. He says, whoever hates his life in this world We'll keep it. D.A. Carson, our friend, says to us again this quote. He says, by contrast, the one who hates his life, the love-hate contrast reflects a Semitic idiom, 
What he's saying is back, especially in that culture, when they would say hate, the word hate, they're not talking about despising. He goes on and says this, that articulates fundamental preference, not hatred on some absolute scale. So what he's, what Jesus is teaching is this, is that, is that for you to live how I want you to live as a disciple, you must choose to prefer me over you. That's what he's saying. To the point where it would look like, it would almost seem as if you hate your life. You want nothing to do with yourself. You don't want self-glorification. You don't want to be praised. You don't want all the accolades. You don't want to be known. You just want me to be glorified. He's saying this. He's saying you have to have a fundamental preference that as you live your life, you choose what God wants over what you want. He, He goes on to say this. He chooses not to pander to self-interest, but at the deepest level of his being declines to make himself the focus of his interest and perception. That you would live your life practically where you are not the focus of your life. This is discipleship. Because why, beloved? Because Jesus lived a life and he was not the focus of that life. It was not about him. It was not about his own glory. It was not about his own. And yes, God did exalt him, but he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross, Jesus came. He didn't come and he wasn't born in a, in a beautiful palace. It was not about him. He was born in a manger among cows and sheep. It was not about him when he did the miracles. It wasn't about him when he died on the cross. He didn't say, look at me, make it about me. He chose fundamentally to choose what God wanted over what he wanted. Which brings us to our big idea this morning and don't get nervous because it's a short outline. Following Jesus over worshiping myself protects me from destruction. This is what Jesus is saying to us. In this passage, he's teaching us that when I follow Jesus over living a self-absorbed Worship idolatry life. I am protecting because the word keeps, keeps in that verse. It means to protect, to guard. I guard myself from destruction. And I've, I want to say it as clear as I can that if you want to avoid destruction in the life that God has given to you, you must follow Jesus. That's what he's saying. You say, well, man. Easy peasy lemon squeezy, right? I mean, you're telling me that all I have to do is follow Jesus and like deny myself every now and then and I'll like experience blessings and not destruction. (laughs) Sign me up. This thing is easy. You're like up there yelling like it's like hard or something. But here's the truth. And this is why it matters. Why we're talking about this and why we're sharing this is here's why. Because choosing Jesus over myself is a constant battle. It's not easy. You think it would be. You think it would be like, man, Jesus gave his life for me and I'm going to live for him. Why would I ever think of myself? Why would I ever get upset? Why would I ever be self-absorbed? I mean, come on now. But choosing Jesus over myself is a constant battle we all face. Matter of fact, Paul took the time to outline how this constant battle plagues us in the book of Romans chapter number seven. Romans chapter number seven is a beautiful passage. And he says this, follow me with this, if you would. He says, this is Paul. And, and, and how many can identify with this? He says, for I do not understand my own actions. All right, so Paul's just having a little venting session here, right? Anybody wants to listen? I don't understand my own actions. For I do, for I do not do what I want. Okay? So if Paul was you, he'd be like, man, I, you know, I want to, man, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get, I'm going to read these books. I'm going to get up at four o'clock in the morning. I'm going to run 17 miles. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to read my Bible 24 hours a day. I'm going to pray all day long, you know? And Paul says this, he says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. (laughs) So Paul can identify with you. How many can identify with Paul? Come on now. The very thing you don't want to do, right? You do. Right? Like you're driving down the road on 66 and the guy cuts you off and the last thing you want to do is say that word out loud in your car. 
And as a good Christian, you're like, I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. You. That's what Paul is saying. The very thing. Some of you, we offer free counseling here for Christian growth. That seemed to struck a, a chord there with a lot of folks. Okay. Let me take a minute. It's going to be okay. Just, just relax. When you drive, I just enjoy it. Get a coffee at Starbucks. All right. Okay. Or something. Relax, man. That hit a nerve there. People were like, yeah, I know what you're talking about, man. All right. The very thing I hate, look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this. Now, if I do what I, what he says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So he said, if I do what I do not want, I agree. Like, as in like, yeah, the law tells me that it's wrong. I know, like some of you know what you're doing is wrong because you know what the Bible says. You're like, and you're like, and, and someone said, if someone came up to you and was like, hey, you know, like what you're saying and doing is wrong and how you're like treating that person is wrong. You'd be like, oh yeah, I totally know. I totally know it's wrong. Like, yeah, I know. I actually, I have the verse memorized. <laughs> I have the three by five card on my, on my refrigerator. <laughs> I totally know it's wrong. And Paul says, we know what we're doing is wrong. It's not that we're ignorant. Verse number 17. He says this. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I think we all can understand what Paul's saying there. I think as we think about the idea of following Jesus over worshiping myself, it makes sense to all of us. But we live... In that last part, when we say, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So what do we do now? What is it that we need to focus on tomorrow that will help us live and follow Christ humbly, sacrificially, willingly, and not think about ourselves? What motivates me to follow Jesus over myself? I want to give you this morning, very quickly, three divine motivations that Jesus shares here. And these are the things that guide us and help us. And let me just say this, as we grow in the Christian life, let me say this very important little practical thing here, okay? God calls us in in, in the New Testament to walk in the spirit, okay? And not for the lust of the flesh. Just like Paul said, just like Paul said, he said, I have the desire to do it, but not the ability to carry it out. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you this. Okay. I just want to tell you, make sure we understand this in your flesh. You do not have the ability to become what Jesus wants you to be. Aren't you glad you came to church today? All right. This is like how you don't give a motivational talk, right? And we're excited. We're going to do it. Now you can't do it. Okay. You have no chance of doing it. It takes, if you're saved, it takes the spirit of God yielding to the spirit of God and saying yes to his spirit so that he can help you overcome sin and wickedness and idolatry and self-absorption. Okay. Okay. Now we got that. So we can't do it on our own. This isn't a motivational talk to say, here's three things that you need to get really excited about. And if you do, you'll be a great Christian. No, 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 no. Okay. All I'm trying to tell you is... These things motivate us to get to the place where we yield to Christ and we walk in his spirit and then we can overcome, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's, it's sort of like this. It's sort of like this. When my son plays Little League Baseball, right, we always, we always, uh, before he goes up to bat, I'm like, okay, like I try to, hey, you know, elbow, you know, keep the hair and the bat and, and, you know, make sure you step in a little bit, right? And I'll sit there and I'll talk to him. I'll be, I'll be filming. I'll just say things like from the, you know, the coaching and say nothing, right? And I'm like, uh, move up in the plate, move up, move up, move up in the plate. Uh, put your bat up, put your bat up, put your bat up. You know, like my wife's like, hey, 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 you're just a fan, just a fan, right? You know, listen, here's the thing. I can't go in there and swing the bat for him. Okay, he's got to perform the action, but I can motivate him to do the thing that will accomplish the thing. Everybody with me on that? Okay, I want you to understand this. This is not like, here's like three secret motivations you never knew about that I found for you and now you're going to be all right. I'm like, the, you're up to bat in life and you're trying to hit the ball of marriage. You're trying to hit the ball of raising your kids. 
You're trying to hit the ball of living in this world and responding to people at work. You're trying not to say that word on 66. You're trying not to live self-absorbed. You're up there and I'm over here. This is what we're doing today. I'm over here going, come on. Eye on the ball. All right, good eye. Swing it hard. You know, this is what I'm doing. And what Jesus is doing is giving us divine motivators. Jesus is over here going, okay, you ready? No, don't get discouraged. You got it. Remember this. Here they are. Number one, the first divine motivation is this, that I need to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse number 20, says this, now among these, those who were to worship at the feast were some Greeks, verse 21. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, to Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Verse 22, Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. So this is important for us to understand. What Jesus is talking about here is that Jesus is going to be glorified through death. He's going to be glorified through his burial and through his resurrection. This is the gospel, beloved. You need to know this as a growing disciple. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the good news, right? We have no hope in this world. We have no way of salvation. But then Jesus came and he died. He was buried and he rose again. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And what motivates us is to look to Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying. The son of man is going to be glorified. And then the next verse, he says this, truly, truly, I say to you. So he stops talking about himself. And he says, let me tell you how this plays in your life. He says, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is saying that my death will bring fruit. Notice it doesn't say it might bring, or it might bring, it says it will bring. We are the fruit of the death of Christ. We as believers are the fruit. We have been the recipient of his sacrifice. And what he is saying he is going to do, he is telling us, he's talking to you. And he's telling you, just like I died, just like I lost my life, just like I sacrificed, that's exactly what you need to do as well. Because if you do, you'll bear much fruit. That the fruit in your life comes from your willingness to die to yourself. And it motivates us because when I don't want to think of others, when I don't, want to put others first when I don't want to die to my own desires and I want to live self-absorbed and I want to be super self-absorbed, guess what will help me to yield to the Spirit? You know what it was? When I think of what Christ has done for me. When I think that Jesus Christ died for me, how can I have one self-absorbed thought? That he was willing to go. And understand, beloved, we say it as if it's like a nursery rhyme. But Christ died for our sins. He did not just pass out and die. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And by his stripes... We are healed and yet I go on in my life and all I think about is myself. May I be motivated and reminded of the sacrificial mindset of my Savior. So the next time you think about being selfish, you think about what Jesus has done for you. The next time you think about being self-absorbed, you think about how they whipped him. The next time you think about living for yourself and choosing what you want over what God wants, the next time you try to be God in your own life, you think about when he hung on that cross and he was bleeding and he was broken and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The next time, and we need to live, here it is, beloved, gospel-centered lives. Not self-absorbed self-pleasing, self-glorifying life. This is not what God has called us to do. He has called you. He's given you one life. 
and one opportunity to either live for yourself or live for him. And may we be motivated by our greatest example that Christ died for our sins. Jesus was buried in the ground. He was glorified through death. He suffered. He bled. He died so that I could be free. And if he's willing to do that for us, then maybe every now and then I'm willing to get up out of my couch and help my wife in the kitchen. See, that's where his home. See, some of you are like, man, I'll tell you what, Pastor, I'll tell you, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to mission field tomorrow. That's great. You go to mission field. Maybe the mission field is your kitchen. And I'm confessing my faults right here, brothers and sisters. I'll tell you that right now. And maybe the next time, maybe the next time I'm going to have to do this. I'll tell you, <laughs> you listening? Okay, good. <laughs> maybe the next time you walk by, fellas, fellas. Maybe you do the dishes in your house. I don't, okay? I buy paper plates. So that's the equivalent of doing the dishes. I do, I do. I just, I bring on, I just did the dishes like 20 times. Hey, amen. But maybe, the, here's how, here, let me, maybe not for you. Let me say for my own life, okay? Cause I don't know your life. Maybe the next time I get up and there's a, there's a thing full of dishes in the sink cause we're after dinner. Maybe instead of thinking, oh, my wife will get that. I'm going to go sit down. That maybe I would wash the dishes. And I'm telling you, it's like silly. You think it's so silly, but what's going to motivate me to stop living self-absorbed and actually do the dishes is not because my wife nags me. That will not last. It'll be when I think about Christ and I think what he did for me, how am I not willing to serve someone else? How am I not willing to help? How am I not willing to, 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 to give why am I living so self-absorbed when the only reason why I have life and I'm experiencing joy is because of someone who gave everything to me. And yet I walk around like I have rights. Like it's all about me. Like everyone better cater to me. And Jesus is calling us to look to him and say, just as I will be buried and I will lose and I will sacrifice. If you're going to follow me, that's how you need to live. That's what he's calling us to do. We see the second motivation, not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the second motivation is the reality of eternal life. Verse 25 says this, whoever loves his life loses it. We've already talked about this. Notice what he says, and whoever hates his life, look at the prepositional phrase, in this world, in this world, will keep it, and then look at the next part, for eternal life. So Jesus here gives a contrast, and he also gives a setting. That I am to hate my life or to fundamentally prefer God over myself now. Now. In this life. Because if I do, I will protect my life from destruction and I will reap the benefits of it eternally. And what we need to understand is this, is that the, the way that we are motivated to not live self-absorbed, idolatrous, worshiping ourselves lives is if when we stop and think of how temporal this life actually is. And some of you experienced that a few weeks ago when the world went into chaos and there was wars and all of a sudden people started thinking, is this the end of the world? Are we seeing signs of the times? And beloved, if you read the Bible, I'm not saying it's the end times, but there's sure a lot of signs. And how many of you in, in your life and how many people thought, this is the end, Are we? is this over? And in that moment, let me ask you a question, what really mattered? In that moment, when you had a, 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 a reality in your heart that said, this could be it. If Jesus, if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do today? And the problem is this, is that we get so caught up in the temporal. And the Bible warns us, he says, lay up not, lay, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in, in earth. He says, redeem the time. He says, what is your life? It's even a vapor. Beloved, why are you so self-absorbed with a life that is so temporal and it doesn't matter? And some of us have more passion for our fantasy football teams than we do for our own discipleship. 
And some of us are so consumed with our toys and our time and our money and, and our careers that we forget that this life is temporal. That we, that we will live for all of eternity with God. And when we stand before God, will we be ashamed? Will we be uh, uh, regretful of, of the fact that we did not think about eternity? What motivates you to stop living selfishly? What motivates you to give and to serve and to love Jesus Christ as a growing disciple? Is because you know that tomorrow could be the last day. You know, my greatest fear in life is not to fail. I don't know what God will do. I don't know if I'll hit a home run every time. My greatest fear in life is not failure. My greatest fear in life is to be successful at something that doesn't matter. That is my greatest fear. And I don't know how God is working your life. But in my own life, there's been a constant reminder in my life that I can be really good at a lot of things. And at the end of my life, I will realize how immaterial and how unimportant they really were. And I sacrificed so much for the temporal instead of thinking about eternal. He says, we keep it for eternity. This is why God calls us to be involved in eternal pursuits. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, if your life is wrapped up in temporal pursuits, if it's all about you, then beloved, one day you will stand before God and you will regret the way you lived. And I'm not saying you got to be perfect because I'm not perfect. (laughs) And I'm not saying you have to be perfect, not perfect, because I'm not perfect. I'm not your example. What I'm saying is we're all growing. We all are going to fail. Why? Because choosing Jesus over myself is a constant battle. But may we be willing in our lives. May we stop thinking that we're doing God a favor when we show up for church. May we stop thinking that that we'll we'll follow God and pursue God when it works out for me. May May we let go of this mindset that says, well, I'll get involved when I feel like it and I'll give when I want to and I'll, and I'll do this when I, when I, when I want to and I'll, and I'll, I'll sort of, you know, my time. I'm not saying, listen, everyone's got a different situation. But what I'm saying is, is Jesus Christ is calling you to true discipleship and true discipleship is when you stop thinking about now and you start thinking about eternity. You think, you start thinking about the coworkers that you work with and you start thinking about their eternal destination and the neighbors and the friends that you have that you've yet to tell about Jesus. Beloved, I know it's not popular and I wish we could preach another passage. Actually, I don't preach. I don't wish that at all. I'm thankful that we preach the truth straight and it may bring conviction, but may that conviction set in deep. May you not look up here and think, how dare he? Because I am with you in the congregation. I am sitting there thinking of my own selfish pursuits in my life. And may we turn our attention away from ourselves for a moment. And may we respond and say, God, how dare I? How dare I when you've been so sacrificial, when you've been so good? How can I live so self-absorbed? And beloved, what will encourage you is think about eternity. That life is short. That our days are not promised. And that we, we want to live for eternity. And then we see the last one. The last motivation is the honor given by God. He says in verse 26, if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. And this is the promise that we have, that as we give our lives wholly to Christ, as we, as growing disciples, do our best each and every day to prefer God over ourselves, we know and believe that we are honoring and pleasing the Father. And here's the thing, when you decide to give and to prefer God, over other people and yourself. Guess what? Here's the, here's the truth. Ready? You're not going to please everybody. 
When you decide that church becomes a priority because Christ died for the church and I want to be in church, that may not please everyone in your life that you're going to be there every Sunday. When you decide that you're going to give, it may not please. When you're going to serve, it may not please everybody. But beloved, when you choose to follow God over yourself, you are pleasing God. And he will honor you for that. As we think about the verse that reminds us, as we stand before God, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. God is not going to look at us and say, man, I'm so glad you just thought about yourself. I'm so glad you didn't get too committed. I'm so glad you didn't make me a really high priority. Where you had me in your life was like a perfect balance of like what you wanted and what I wanted. (laughs) Good job. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And, And beloved, can I say this? This is what God's calling us to. And we don't apologize for it. We don't, we don't offer it in a soft way. We allow the conviction of the spirit of God in this room this morning to settle in in our hearts. And we take the time to examine and confess our sin before God. And we walk out of here with a new perspective and a new direction and a new vision to be by God's grace what he wants us to be. And we'll stumble and get up along the way. And we'll grow in his grace. And so this morning, how you doing? if Jesus were to look at you and say my hour has come and what I'm about to do and what you're about to see is exactly what you need to do he says verse number 26 he says if anyone serves me he must follow me and where I am there my servant will be also well, where was Jesus going? He was going to die. He was going to sacrifice. He was going to give. And he says, if you follow me, you'll be right there. You'll do exactly what I do. And if anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Can I give you a few decisions this morning? And we'll be done. Number one is for some of you, you need to believe in Jesus as savior today. God is drawing you. God is helping you to see the truth of his son. And your response is, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he's the son of God and he's the only way to heaven. And maybe that's your decision. For some of you, maybe you need to start serving or giving to the Lord. You say, why would you narrow it down to those two things? Because I think sometimes in our lives, there are areas where we're self-absorbed and then there's areas where we're super (laughs) self-absorbed. And I think the areas sometimes where I can be the most self-absorbed is in my time and in my money. And sometimes both. And I'm going to tell you this. As you follow Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ, how you spend your time and how you spend your money is a reflection of how you're growing as a disciple. It is. And so for some of you, maybe you need to, you need to start giving more time to the Lord in service. Simple. Get involved. Got lots of places to serve. Church is growing. Lots of places. You have a need? Yes. Yep. Ask me tomorrow. Yes. Ask me tomorrow from now. Yes. Okay. And some of you, man, you're, Maybe it's your money. We don't, we're not trying to get your money. I promise. We're not trying to get your money. What we're simply trying to do is say, are you going to follow Christ or live self-absorbed? A reflection of that is your money. And so maybe something you need to start serving or giving a heritage. And maybe something you need to invite someone to open house. And just say, you know what? I'm going to share as a disciple of Christ with someone else. Because I don't want to just think about myself. And by inviting someone to church, you are literally not thinking of yourself. <laughs> You're thinking about someone else's eternity. You're thinking about what the gospel of Jesus Christ can do in their life. And beloved, I just want to say this at the end, that as your pastor, I love you. I'm thankful to shepherd the sheep here this morning. And this is not a rebuke from me. This is a reminder from Jesus. These are his words that need to ring loud in our hearts. Why? Because whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life will keep it. Why? Because following Jesus over worshiping myself keeps my life from destruction.
I don't know what your next step is, but can I say this? Whatever it is, we can help you take it. And may we grow in God's grace together as we commit to Christ the way that he wants us to by humbling ourselves, sacrificing, giving, loving, and serving. And when we don't want to do it, may we look at his gospel. May we be reminded of eternity. And may we remember that the Father is pleased when we choose him over ourselves. Can we pray together? Father, you are good, sovereign, and holy. Lord, I've received this word from you in my own life that, God, I would not look to glorify myself or please myself, but that, Lord, in those moments in my own life that I would look to Jesus Christ, his sacrifice and love for me, I would think of eternity. I would think that I don't know how much time I have left. It may not be much. And, Father, may I seek to please the Father. I pray you'd help every single person in this room this morning to examine their hearts to confess their sin, to make a practical decision to give or to serve or to love or to share. And Father, help us to grow in in God's grace. Lord, we'll probably mess up tomorrow, but Lord, give us grace. Give us the desire to want to please you over ourselves. And may we not live self-absorbed, but may we live absorbed by the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ seeking to please him in our lives, in our families, and in this church for your honor and for your glory. With heads bowed and eyes closed, just for a moment, I want to ask this morning if you're here and give you opportunity just to talk to the Lord. If you know the Lord as Savior, then I encourage you right where you're seated just to talk to him. Lord, help me. Maybe just say that. Lord, help me. You know me. Help me. Help me to, help me to think of you. Help me to not live self-absorbed. Help me to overcome and help me take steps. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to invite you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's only through him that we have salvation. And so this morning, if you are being drawn by his spirit, don't harden your heart. Listen to the voice of God speaking to you right now by his spirit. And may you respond with belief and just say, Lord, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. I believe he's the son of God. And I'm calling upon him for salvation. Just let the Spirit of God speak to you in this moment and respond to him in your hearts and your lives.